I'm reading from 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This is the word of God for the people of God. We know that Valentine's Day is a time for us to celebrate love, celebrate what love means, and to celebrate the love that we share with each other. It's a time for us to express that love to those that we do love. It's a chance for us to be reminded of how important love is. And while we know that this time typically surrounds the idea of romantic love, we know that love is bigger than just that. There's, there's a whole depth to love that we don't often think about. We know it's there. We don't think about what it means as much, maybe, as other types of love. But we know that there's something really powerful about love, but there's something also very mysterious about love. You can go probably through everyone in this room and ask, what is your definition of love? We come up with something different. We all have different ways of understanding what love is and how it works. We all have different ways of, or different things that we say we love. I love my job. I love this song. I love my wife. I love all these different kinds of things. It's, it's people, it's things, it's ideas. There's all kinds of things that we love. It's mysterious. We're, we're not sure how it works. We're not sure what it's all about. We know it's an emotion. It's something that we feel, but we know it's also a verb. It's something that we do. And we know that it's connected to faith. We, we, as you read throughout the Bible, there's just countless stories about love. Love is a word that's constantly being used in Scripture. It's constantly being used by God. It's constantly used by Jesus. It's used by Paul. And when he's writing his letters, all these people that we have identified as pillars of faith, people that teach us about faith, they talk a lot about love. We know that, that God is love and that when we live in love, we live in God and that God lives in us. It's all about tying things together, that, that love is this amazing glue in life that connects us to God. It connects us to each other. So it's important for us, I think, to understand a little bit about what God wants us to know about love. Is it just about Valentine's Day? Is it just about the gifts that we give? Is it just about the, the, the people that we're around and, and what we feel? Or is there, is there more to it there? Is there a depth there that we, we might be missing? We're looking at this, this chapter, this 1 Corinthians 13, which is traditionally known as the love chapter because it talks about love. And while it's really talking about a love between God and us, it, it helps us to understand that depth. It helps us to understand the kinds of things that, that love empowers us to do. It helps us to understand how God is working in our lives. And as you look at this chapter, and especially these verses four through seven, it gives a really good description of, of love and, and, and what love does. It's, it's like Paul is painting this literary picture. He's using these words to, to create an image in our mind of of what love looks like, and how we can expect love to work in our lives. In this literary picture, it's not, just, it's not just about a flowery description. It's not just about using these amazing words to help us understand that, that love is truly an amazing thing. It really gives us a definition of what love does. Because this, this, this chapter, there's, there's 16 verbs here. It's, it's not just this, this description in an abstract kind of way of, of what love might be. There's 16 verbs. Verbs are action. Verbs are, are doing things. There's, there's 16 things that, that Paul is saying that love does. It's, it's working. It's, it's present. And as you look at the, those, those verses between 4 and 7, he breaks it down into three, different, three distinct categories. Where love is, then there's a couple of words after that. Then love does not, then there's a couple of words after that. 
Then love always. And there's a few words after that. So we've already looked at love is. Talk about love is, is uh, when something is, it's a reality, it's the current reality, it's how we would describe the world that's around us. And God, through his love, creates that reality in our lives. God, through his love, establishes who we are, establishes what our life is and what our life means, establishes the direction that we're taking. It's all about God being present with us in that moment. And today, we're going to shift that from love is to love does not. And it's really kind of an odd shift. When you think about the Bible, the Bible is often about telling us what to do and where to go, and how to handle situations, and, and how to interact with people, and how to approach God, and how, how we should order our lives in prayer, and worship, and all these kinds of things. It's, it's, there's a lot of to-dos in the Bible. There's a lot of thou shouts in the Bible. There's a lot of ways that we should approach just living life, and positive things to do to focus on God, to focus on the beauty around us, to focus on who we are, and how God is making us better. It's odd for me to hear that as as Paul is describing love and what love does, there's this section here that says love does not. And there's a lot of words there. Love does not. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. There's a lot of knots there. Now, sometimes I think when we're thinking about defining a word, it's sometimes easier for us to say, well, it's hard for me to say exactly what it is. It's hard for me to say exactly and to define exactly what love is, but it might be easier for me to say what it isn't. It's not this, it's not that. I I think there's some of that going on here, but I think there's also something else more powerful happening here. He's he's directing us to understand how we can work in the midst of this love and how we can act in the midst of this love. There's two ancient kind of streams of thought, whether that be philosophy or theology kind of the study of of who we are and the study of how God is with us and and how that all works together. One of those streams of thought, and don't worry about the name, one of the the streams is cataphatic. And that basically says that when we're describing God, when we're describing who God is and what God does, we want to use beautiful words. We want to say all these amazing words about who God is and what God does. God is beautiful. God is loving. God is kind. God is compassionate. God is amazing. God is wonderful. All these beautiful words that we have to to understand God, to understand that beauty that is God, to understand that that God is this loving being in our lives that has created the universe and has done amazing things for us. So we reserve the best words for God. When we're trying to describe God, trying to understand God, we use these best words for that. That's cataphatic. That's a, a stream of philosophy, a stream of theology. Another stream that's kind of connected to that, but the opposite, says that we use negative words to describe God. Not because God is bad, not because God is negative, but the the idea is that there aren't words that can truly describe God, that, that our language is limited, that the way that we think, the way that we talk, the way that we communicate is very limited. We, we don't have words that describe the power of God, the beauty of God, the, 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 how great God is and how amazing God is. We can say those words, but that's in a way that's limiting who God is. It's limiting our understanding of God. So they start from a standpoint of, let's just say what God is not. We know that God is not evil. We know that God does not hurt people. We know that God does not, does not do things that try to bring everything down. Because that opens up the positive area. This is called apophatic line of thinking or philosophy or theology. 
Again, don't worry about the, the name. I just like to say it, apophatic. And there's this, it's, it's this starting standpoint of a negative word that God doesn't do this. God is not this because it leaves the positive end open. That, that it doesn't limit God, that there's all kinds of things that, that, that God does beyond the words that we have. We think that we have these fancy words and these, all these words can, can really describe everything, but they really can't. When you think about God and who God is and, and what that love is and how that love works, our words just can't do it. Our words just cannot paint a full picture for us. They can't really help us come to a true understanding of who God is, what love is, and how love works. And so that's, I think, what Paul is doing here in, in 1 Corinthians 13. He's, he's acknowledging that we need to do both of those things, that we still have to use some words, right? We still have to say that God is beautiful, God is loving, God is caring, God is compassionate. We still have to have something in our mind that kind of gives us some kind of a picture of who God is. But it's also good to say what God is not, because that helps us understand the real power that God has. It helps us to really understand the real love that God has. And it gives us an opportunity to see not only how that love works in our lives, but how that can inspire us to be like that, to, to allow this kind of a love to work in our lives. When you look at the, the, the do nots, does not envy, does not boast, arrogant, rude, insist on its own way, irritable, resentful, rejoice in wrongdoing. If you do these things, remember it says do not do, but if you do these things, you're not ascribing value to anyone else. When you do these things, these are very selfish things. These are things that are focused on you and don't take into consideration other people, what their feelings might be, what their ideas are, who they are as people. When we're envious, when we boast, when we're arrogant, when we're rude, it's all about us. It's all about who we are. It's all about the steps that we're taking in life. It doesn't take into consideration at all what other people are doing. So when we don't do these things, as the text tells us not to do, when we don't do them, we're showing respect. We're showing that we value other people, that we value who they are, that we value their opinions, that we value their stances on things, that we value their contribution to this world. We value who they are as a person. We value who they are as individuals. And so as, as, as we think about how that all works together and what that means for us and, and how we can live the best life possible, I think we need to kind of understand how does God show us this? You know, as, as, as we look throughout the scripture, where does God show respect to people? Where does God show value to people? How does God show love through these things? Where, where is God not envious and not boastful? Where is God not rejoicing in wrongdoing? Where, where, is, where is God showing us the, the positive part of how love works in this kind of a way by showing value to us and showing respect? So just a couple of, of quick verses to just kind of Get an idea of, of how this works and, and how this, this manifests itself and, and how God gives us this example. First one from Ephesians. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he, ha- he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. How often have we turned away from God? How often have we ignored what God has called us to do? How often have we made those mistakes? And we've turned away, we've done the wrong things, and yet... His love is still there. His love doesn't give up on us. His love doesn't leave us abandoned. Love pushes through because he values us. What he wants is to be with us. What he wants is to have this this connection with us. He wants us to, to have the best life possible, even though we don't do anything to earn it. We don't do anything to deserve it. We don't do anything from our power 
to earn our way into the good graces of God, to earn our way into heaven, to earn our way into this afterlife, to earn our way into forgiveness and salvation. God just gives it to us because he loves us, because he values us, because he's showing us respect. He's lifting us up as his creation, and he wants to show that to us. Next one in Isaiah, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All the things that God does for us, all the ways that that God pours himself into us. He gives us strength. He gives us courage. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us salvation. All these amazing gifts he's giving to us so that we can benefit from that. It's not just so God can show off. It's not just so God can be boastful and look at what I did. I made the universe. I gave this to you. I gave you this amazing life. That's not what it's about. It's about God showing love to us, about God lifting us up and giving us these things because we need them. Without those gifts, we're lost. Without those gifts, we can't do anything. Without those gifts, we're we're dead in our own sin. But because God loves us, because God values us, he reaches out to us and gives us these gifts. Psalm 118 The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can humankind do to me? All the things that we worry about, all the things that we're, what's this person going to say if I do this? What's this person going to mean if I do this? How how are people going to respond to what this thing is? We worry about all these things all the time. We're worried about people hurting us all the time. God's on our side. Who Who do we have to fear? If God is on our side, there's nothing to fear. This is an amazing thing to know about, about how God values us, that all the things that come up, all, the, all the, the discrepancies that we have, all the arguments that we have, all the, the wars that we have, God is with us. And it's important to know about this. This doesn't mean that God is on our side as a nation. It doesn't mean that God is on, on our side as a political party. It doesn't mean that God is on our side as a sports team. Although, if you think about it, I think heaven has got to have a lot of black and gold, right? I mean, that's just the way it should be. But what this is saying, to my disagreement, is that there's a lot of orange in heaven too. There's, a, even, there's even a lot of purple for the Ravens. Now, there's one thing that Steeler fans and Browns fans can share together is a hatred of the Ravens, right? We all hate the Ravens. But this is saying that God is on the side of the Ravens too. He, he, he likes them. He loves them. He's, he's giving them his, his soul. He's giving them this, all these things that we have together. God is on our side as people that God loves us as people, that he's always going to be with us, that we never have to fear being alone because his, his love is with us. And the last one, John 3.16, because by this we know, this is First John 3.16, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. This ultimate sacrifice, this ultimate gift, because of that value, because of that respect, because that he treasures us. He treasures us to be a part of this world that he made. He treasures us to be a part of this existence that we have together. And he shows us that. He shows us that respect. He shows us that value all throughout scriptures. We receive this love. It makes us who we are. It helps us to live life each and every day. So what can we do to show this in our lives? What can we do to not be envious, to not be boastful, to not rejoice in wrongdoing, to not do all those things that it says not to do? How can we show respect? Just a couple of quick things, just a couple of quick ways to understand how this might translate into our lives. First thing is to be reliable. If we're going to show value to someone else's life, to show value to who they are, one of the first things we can do is to be polite and understand that when we say that we're going to be somewhere at a certain time, 
we try our best to be there. If we say that we're going to do something at a certain time or to just do something at all, we try our best to do that. Now, we all know things, we forget things, we miss appointments, we get late, and all these kinds of things happen. But what happens over time when we consistently don't do the things that we say that we're going to do? That other person thinks that we don't value them. It, it makes it look like our time is more important than their time because for whatever reason. So people receive that as not being valued, not being respected. So I think that's one of the things we can do. Just try to do the best that we can at doing what we say we'll do and to do the best we can to be supportive to other people. Something else is to just simply encourage people. It's so easy to be disgruntled in life today. It's so easy to to get beat down in life today. How many of you have benefited when someone else came up to you and just patted your back and said, it's going to be okay. I'm here. We'll, We'll work through this together. That simple encouragement, the power of encouragement is amazing, and it shows value to another person. We value who they are. We're hurt that they're going through something discouraging. We want to do whatever we can to encourage them. We want to be positive in our relationship, positive in how we're connected to that person. We want to do whatever we can to help lift that person up, to help lift that person out of that that depression that they might be in, that, that, that bump in the road that they might be in. We want to do whatever we can to help them to show that it's, it's going to be good. It's, it's, it's all right. You, you're, you're good in this. We, we got your back. We're together in this. It, it helps people understand they're not by themselves. Something else to just appreciate differences. We're so quick to criticize, and we talked about this a little bit last week. We're so quick to, to be in this place where we just want to win all the time that we tend to highlight differences as something to exploit. When we see that there's something different between you and me and you, we see that something that you're wrong, I'm right. And so that becomes something that's a dividing point between us. Differences are good between us because differences provide different perspectives. They provide different viewpoints. They provide different ways of, of understanding how the world can work. We can learn and grow from different perspectives. When I sit down and talk to somebody that sees things different than I do, I can learn from that. I can learn from that perspective. I can hear something I maybe haven't heard before. I can think about it from a different way. I can understand it in a different kind of a way. And those differences can be good. So we want to appreciate differences. We want to appreciate who we are together, appreciate the great way that God has brought blessings into our lives to see that diversity, to see that diversity of thought, diversity of people, diversity of, of creation. It helps us understand the bigness of God and how God is showing us amazing things together, and we can all learn from that. And the last thing is just simply trust. Trusting is about acknowledging that someone wants to support you, that they're not trying to hurt you, that they're not trying to beat you down, they're not trying to exploit a difference between you and them. Trusting someone is about acknowledging that they're there for you. We've been burned a lot in life. We've been betrayed in life, so it can be hard for us to do that. It can be hard for us to be vulnerable to a point where we trust another person with our innermost feelings, to trust another person with with our dreams, to trust another person with the kinds of things we want to do together. But if we value people, if we want to respect people, we want to trust them. We're hardwired to be in community together. We're hardwired to be connected to each other. We're, We're hardwired to be this people of God together. And I think that's part of how God works, that we trust God in all that we do. We trust God in how God works. God has put people in our lives that we can trust. He's put people in our lives that we can be vulnerable with. He's put people in our lives that we can show value to. God does all these things with us. God does all these things to help us understand love and how love works. God helps us to understand what each new step can be. God helps us to understand that the power of love has this way of lifting us up. 
The power of love helps us to see things in new ways. The power of love helps to move us forward. As we have received that love from God, we have the opportunity to share that love with other people. Allow the love that God has given to you to be something that changes you, to be something that molds you and shapes you into this person that finds ways to express that love to other people. Allow that love that flows through you to be something that makes a difference in your life, in the lives of the people who are around you, in the lives of the community that you're a part of, in the lives of all the people that you come across. Allow that to be something that people can see, that people can understand that just by being in connection with you, they feel the value in their own life because we know that God has shown value to us. We show value to others around us. Allow that respect to be something that motivates all of us together to live out this love each and every day of our lives. Amen.